This is Mark Kelly, and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. If you find these podcasts helpful, would you please consider standing with us and supporting us? For more information about this and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. Good morning, everybody. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Are we excited? Yeah. Okay. So um, this is the first of our big questions, and we're going to try and do these uh, once a month. And uh, I kind of answered this question a little bit on on uh, the family fireside chat last week. Um, but why are we doing them? We're doing them because as we as we reach out to others. Uh, either through Alpha or, or other ways you might kind of befriending people at work and having conversations about Jesus or if you're at school or college, um, some of these questions might come up. Um, I'm basing the initial lot of these big question questions uh, from a book called Searching Issues by Nicky Gumbel, who is the, the chap who is heavily involved in Alpha down at Holy Trinity Brompton in London. And they created this book called Searching Issues. And these are the, the 10 most asked questions that, that people ask them uh, on the course. So you, you've got this question, which is God versus science, uh, with a subtitle of, has science disproved Christianity? Uh, and there are lots of other questions that are in this book, such as, what about other faiths? Uh, and it's good to have some, something that you can talk about, something that you can you can present to you know the Bible talks about as you know get knowledge, get understanding, um, and it's not enough for us to just have. In fact, I don't even think we can have blind faith. I don't think there's such a thing as blind faith. I think that uh, before you become a believer, more often than not, you, you know a little bit about what you're getting into because you'll have probably asked questions, you'll have probably read things, you'll have heard things, um, and so we, most of us, maybe not all, but most of us probably come to to faith. Um, because of the questions we've asked and the people that we've met and the things that we've heard. So um, today's question is, has science disproved Christianity? Um, I've moved this down so you can see this. I've got a video to show later, so I want you to be able to really be able to see it. And also, if you watch the TV there as well, it's a little bit clearer. Let me begin. In the 1500s, most people uh, were taught, and most people believed that the Earth was at the center of the universe. And there was an astronomer called Galileo whose studies led him to believe that this wasn't actually true. The sun and all the other planets didn't appear to revolve around Earth at all. I'll just pause there and just say, have you got the Queen reference, Nick? Thank you. Bohemian Rhapsody, Galileo, Galileo. Okay, uh, I won't do that again. The church and the, and the scientific community at the time objected big time. They insisted that the earth was the center of the universe. And that the Roman Catholic Church said that this is what the Bible taught on the issue. So they put Galileo on trial. They forced him to recant. In other words, forced him to, to state that he took back the belief and that he, he, he believes now that it was heretical and he shouldn't have said it. And he was kept under house arrest for the remainder of his life. Now, 
you'll probably find that many non-Christian scientists still refer to that incident today to demonstrate that religion or faith is opposed to science. And personally, I've watched enough science shows and documentaries to have heard that again and again and again. Galileo is, in a way, where the God versus science mentality started. You've probably all heard this, this accusation that a claim is not really genuine or valid unless you can prove it scientifically. As if that puts the end to any debate, question or challenge, as if science is the great unbiased and universal arbiter of all that is true, the method to judge or decide, decide a disputed issue. Now for many people, the following equation is true. Science equals fact. Religion equals myth. And I think you can get this sort of idea from the, the many police shows that we can watch out there today. Anybody watched any CSI shows? Anybody watched any of those? I, I think they're amazing. I love them. I'm really quite addicted to them, actually. And I love the way that, that when you wait for them to method, you know, um, uh, methodologically, I can't say the word, scientifically and with method, um, work their way through something and, and solve the latest case. I, I really like that. Scientific and forensic evidence in these programs in particular is irrefutable. It's unbiased fact. And if you can't prove something scientifically well, you can't really prove it at all. And so I want to come back to that subtitle and sub-question. Has science then disproved Christianity? Isn't faith in some supernatural being the exact opposite of rational, scientific thought. If you go to church, so you come here on a Sunday, do you leave your brains at the door? You can answer the question if you want. So in order to try and give an answer myself to these questions, I want to look at some of the broad principles of scientific methodology, the nature of science and Christianity. And if we get time, we'll look at the question of God's existence and creation and evolution. You know, things that we can definitely do in one short Sunday talk. Yeah. And here's something that I think would surprise most people. Much of modern science as we know it began with Christians trying to bring glory to God. Did you know that? In fact, theology, or the study of God, was known as the queen of sciences. Many scientists in the early modern period were priests, monks, clergymen, Isaac Newton, Blaise Pascal, Robert Boyle, to name a few, are recorded as saying that the very motivation for their scientific endeavor was to investigate the wonders of the world, and in doing so, bring glory to the Creator. This supposed division, this separation, opposition between science and religion hasn't always been there. In fact, if you read a lot of the books that I read and you scour a lot of the websites that I look at, you might even be inclined 
to think that more and more scientists are coming to the view that believing in a creator is actually not intellectual suicide and neither is it irrational in fact some would say it makes perfect sense of the evidence and I'll cover that in a bit we also need to understand something else that's really important to get your head around science is not by definition fact and scientists need just as much faith as you and me as Christians and I'm gonna give you a few examples at the end of the 19th century a gentleman known as Lord Kelvin an eminent and well-respected scientist said this heavier than air machines are impossible less than two years later the Wright brothers flew their first plane a short time later he said radio has no future and x-rays are a hoax this is Lord Kelvin and as an aside and it's probably not really on topic but I find this quite amusing I think it's a great quote Thomas Watson chairman of IBM in 1943 said this <clears throat> I think there is a world market for maybe five computers and I think it'd be easy wouldn't it to uh, I'm probably extremely dishonoring to ridicule men like this like particularly Kelvin but my point is this history is littered with false predictions rejected scientific theories and discredited scientists and this shouldn't be surprising if you understand the way that science is done the method of how science is worked out science is not a series of facts science is a process which falsifies science is a process which falsifies now what do I mean by that let me try and explain scientific inquiry works a little bit like this someone comes up with a series of hypotheses theories to help explain certain natural phenomena and then by repeating experiments under controlled conditions these hypotheses are tested and just like experiments in your school science lessons data is recorded and a conclusion is drawn and I've got to say the conclusions in science was always the boring bit in my opinion any theory that doesn't fit this empirical data uh, data which uh, is based on what is being observed is demonstrated to be false You're catching up with me falsified until one or perhaps none are left if you get the same result enough times which supports a certain hypothesis then that theory is proven uh, sorry that theory is considered in quotes proven but any theory any theory is only one experiment away from this falsification consider this suppose that you came up with this hypothesis that all swans are white you experiment you, you view and you investigate swans you, you, you visit their habitat you see thousands of swans and they're all white the theory then is considered proven but then you visit 
another part of the world. And as you're rounding the bend in the river, you see floating slowly towards you a single black swan. All it takes is one verifiable experiment or observation, in this case, a black swan, to falsify your theory. Is that okay? And this kind of thing happens all the time in science. Theories that are wildly, wildly held to be true are demonstrated false by the next big discovery. Karl Popov said, and I love this as well, some great, I found some great quotes, all scientific knowledge is either hypothetically true or definitely false. I'll say it again because I think it's brilliant. All, this, is, this is a scientist. All scientific knowledge is hypothetic, either hypothetically true or definitely false. Now, I'm not saying that every scientific theory is false. Far from it. But the very nature of science should bring into question this science equals fact equation. Yeah? So given this, how then do you go about proving something scientifically? Well, like I said, science, uh, ev scientific evidence is based upon repeated experimentation under controlled conditions. This means that asking somebody to scientifically prove that Jesus rose from the dead, for instance, is complete nonsense. You can't repeat historical events under controlled conditions. It's just silly. Now, we're going to watch um, a clip from the 1997 sci-fi movie, Contact. And in this film, the world is currently filled with speculation about certain radio signals that have been detected from space. Anybody seen Contact? Thanks, Alan. I know I could rely on you and the two at the back. Jodie Foster plays a scientist who lost her dad when she was young and who first detected these signals. And Matthew McConaughey plays uh, some kind of religious writer and uh, they're at a reception in the White House. So just sit back and watch this. I read your book. Here we go. Would you like me to quote you? Ironically, uh, the thing that people are the most hungry for, meaning, is the one thing that science hasn't been able to give them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. It's like you're saying that science killed God. What if... What if science simply revealed that he never existed in the first place? I think we're going to need to get some air. What? And a few more of these. Thank you. You're welcome. Whew. A little chilly out here. Yeah, this is nice. I got one for you. What do you got? Occam's Razor. You've ever heard of it? Occam's Razor. It sounds like some slasher movie. No, Occam's Razor. It's a basic scientific principle. And it says, all things being equal, the simplest explanation tends to be the right one. Makes sense to me. All right. So what's more likely? Thank you. You're welcome. An all-powerful, mysterious god created the universe and then decided not to give any proof of his existence. Or that he simply doesn't exist at all. And that we created him so we wouldn't have to feel so small and alone. I don't know. I couldn't imagine living in a world where God didn't exist. I, I wouldn't want to. How do you know you're not deluding yourself? I mean, for me, I, I need proof. Proof? 
Did you love your father? What? Your dad, did you love him? Yes, very much. Prove it. It's great thinking, isn't it? Many people claim to believe that if something can't be proven scientifically, then it's a myth. But that in itself is a myth. No one actually lives that way. If it were true, without recording every single detail, and, and even then this could be altered, you could never prove what you were doing yesterday. You could never prove that you, you dislike certain foods. You could never prove that you love someone. You could never prove it. In a murder case in court, we don't ask for the murder to be repeated over and over again in front of us so we can observe, record, and conclude. Please, could you just stab him in the chest again so I can check my data? You don't hear that, do you? No, we look at the evidence presented and we hear the testimony. Science, therefore, can't prove or disprove Christianity because the Bible makes claims which fall outside the realm of scientific inquiry. If you ask a how question, then science is usually really ready to give an answer. But it struggles with the why question. Why does the universe work this way? Why are we here? Let me give you an example of that. A young boy walks into the kitchen to find the kettle boiling on the stove. And he asks his dad, and his dad's a scientist, Dad, why is the kettle boiling? And his dad replies, well, son, it's because the combustion of gas transfers heat to the bottom of the kettle, which, being a good conductor, transfers heat to the water. The molecules of the water become more and more agitated, give off steam, and there is your boiling. Slightly dissatisfied, the boy asks his mother the same question. She answers, the kettle's boiling because I'm making us all a cup of tea. Oh, what about, you might have heard of this one, uh, Aunt Matilda and her cake. A cake that she's lovingly made for a particular purpose. That looks like a great cake. Now, there are lots of things that scientists could tell us about this cake. Nutritional scientists can tell us about the number of calories in the cake, its nutritional effect. Biochemists can tell us about the structure of the proteins and the fats. Chemists can tell us about the elements involved and their bonding. Physicists can analyze the cake in terms of fundamental particles. Mathematicians can give us a, a beautiful set of equations to describe the behavior of those particles. We know how the cake is put together. We know about its constituent parts and how they relate to each other. No higher power told us any of that. Science did. But can our scientists tell us why the cake was made? Only the maker, Aunt Matilda, knows. And until she reveals that information to us, no amount of scientific genius will be able to discover it. Science and faith, they don't fundamentally contradict because they seek to give answers to different questions. 
As the character in that film clip alludes to, science can't give us meaning or purpose, not really. It can't tell us about relationships or emotions. If your concept of human feelings is limited to brain chemistry, then you're probably not going to be very fun to be around. It can't tell us how we should treat others. It can't tell us who made us. If science is all there is, then I think it's pretty depressing. Because then we're no more than a bunch of cells, a mutated fluke of evolution. Now let me say this, and I want to say it strongly. Science in and of itself is not anti-faith. It's not. But it's been used by atheists in particular and agnostics for the last 200 and odd years to try and discredit Christianity. It's enabled them to coat their faithful, faithlessness with a sheen of intellectualism. Before science as a, a methodology, any number of perfectly natural but misunderstood occurrences were explained away as acts of God. And as scientific knowledge has increased, that's meant atheists have tried to portray people of faith as backward and naive. Just those ignorant people of centuries ago who were controlled by myth and superstition. Science has given atheists an out. And perhaps the most significant theory, and you know I was going to talk about this, in this regard, is Darwinian evolution. It's important because, according to some, it enables us to explain how the world came to be the way it is, how we got here, in other words, without any reference to God. Darwin himself, believe it or not, wasn't an atheist. He was probably more uh, an agnostic. But many of the most enthusiastic believers in his theories were and still are. The basic evolution, uh, idea of evolution, if you're not aware, is this. Over millions, if not billions of years, life has changed and developed by a process known as natural selection, where the fittest and the strongest species or subspecies would survive, pass on their genetic mutations, and organisms would evolve and adapt over time by natural processes. And this, that phrase, by natural processes, is, is the key point. As soon as Darwin realized his theory, it became clear to some that humans now had an explanation for the world that didn't require God. Now many of you here, many Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians, might believe the theory of evolution to be perfectly acceptable for a Christian to hold in that God instigated and shaped evolution. And as far as that goes, you, you might be right. But if you're a Christian, you don't believe in the basic premise of Darwin's theory, natural selection. You believe that God designed and created the world. Now, God may have used natural processes, so I'm not saying they're necessarily contradictory, but ultimately, he did it. The position of biologist-turned-atheist-evangelist Richard Dawkins, I'm sure most of us have heard of Richard Dawkins, is that science has made belief in God irrelevant and ridiculous. Yet, and this is really important 
for you to know, if you don't know already, there are many scientists just as eminent as him who don't share, far more eminent, who don't share his view. So let's look at intelligent design. Its basic premise is that the nature of the universe, of cells, of organisms, is positive evidence of an intelligent designer. It questions evolution and natural selection as reasonable ways of explaining life. According to proponents of intelligent design, the more we know about the world, the more complex it appears. And this complexity can only be explained by an intelligent designer. It's like a story about this famous scientist called Benjamin Franklin. Now, he was a believer in God. And some of his fellow scientists were not. They were constantly arguing with one another over the question of God's existence. So Franklin crafted an elaborate model of our solar system with moving parts that depicted the planet's orbits moving around the sun. I'm not suggesting that was the model he created, but it's a beautiful model. After his work was finished, he placed it on a table in the scientist's meeting room before anyone else arrived. And on purpose, he was the last one to arrive for the meeting. And they were all excited about this model. And their biggest interest in the room was, who made this? And Franklin immediately seized on the moment to point out their hypocrisy. If they could easily recognize the order and design in this model called for a maker, weren't they therefore inconsistent not to at least ask the same question about the actual solar system? Now, intelligent design is a bit more complicated than that, and I'm not going to go into much more detail. But I want to give you one little example. A little thing that the doctors in the house will know a lot about, and those of us who have an interest, called DNA. DNA is an incredibly intricate molecule in which the information for each cell is stored and manipulated, and the coding behind DNA reveals such intelligence that it staggers the imagination. A tiny pinhead of it contains information equivalent to a stack of paperback books that would encircle the Earth over 5,000 times. And DNA operates like a language with its, its own extremely complex software code. Uh, Microsoft founder and now famous philanthropist Bill Gates is quoted as saying that the software of DNA is far, far more complex than any software we've ever developed. It's, it's simply so ingenious and so complicated and so miraculous that it becomes almost a leap of irrational faith to believe that it just popped into existence from nowhere. And yet you'll find that this is fundamentally the atheist position. British professor of philosophy, Anthony Flew, was a renowned... Anybody heard of Anthony Flew? Was a renowned atheist for over 50 years, and he, he traveled around universities, schools, and elsewhere, preaching his message. But this came to an abrupt end when he, he really looked at DNA. And he may not have become a Christian before he died in 2010, but he publicly rejected his atheism. He said this, 
What I think the DNA material has done is to show that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinarily diverse elements together. The enormous complexity by which the results were achieved look to me like the work of intelligence. It now seems to me that the findings of more than 50 years of DNA research have provided materials for a new and enormously powerful argument to design. Dr. Paul Davis, a famous physicist, and also, incidentally, not Christian, is another scientist who believes that the scientific evidence points towards a designer. He's shown that the probability of fluking the environmental requirements for life to exist, the amount of oxygen, nitrogen, carbon, the amount of gravity, and the range of, of loads of other factors, makes intelligent design much more probable. In fact, he said that the likelihood of it happening by mere chance is the same as winning the jackpot in the National Lottery 100 times in a row. How ironic then, how ironic is it that some atheists say Christians are irrational in their faith? The intelligent design material that I've read rejects natural selection because it, it does not and cannot explain the evolution of living things from non-living matter. The utter complexity of the cell or the explosion of new species at particular points throughout history rather than a gradual evolutionary movement as Darwin predicted. As you can probably imagine, intelligent design has been heavily criticized by those in education and by some scientists. Some have wanted to teach intelligent design alongside evolutionary theory in schools, but others have strongly protested. Many say that it's unscientific. You can't test the supernatural in a laboratory, so it's not scientific, it's not repeatable. True, but neither is natural selection in any practical way. You can't test evolution by putting a mouse in a cage, stepping back and seeing what happens. Some Christians have argued against it because it's merely what they call a God of the gaps theory. And what I mean by this, it says that we, we can't explain this by anything we know now, so it must have been God. And what happens is that scientific understanding grows, the place for God uh, grows, the place for God becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. This is a problem. But fundamentally, I don't think intelligent design is a god of the gaps theory. It basically says that the more we know about complexity and the ingenuity of the universe, the more we are certain that an intelligent designer is required. The more we know about the world, the more unlikely it is that we're all here as the result of a cosmic fluke. And finally, I think that at its heart, it's a biblical position. Because we're arguing that from looking at the wonder of creation, we can see the power of the Creator. That's what we read from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. God's creation announces to us the reality of His existence and the breadth of His power. And I want to finish this morning by reading this story from a pastor in Australia. 
who had this tale to tell concerning science and faith. When I was in year eight and year nine, myself and Cameron Smith would constantly spend the half hour of our bus journey home evangelizing and arguing with another chap. His name was Chris. And both his parents were and still are agnostics and university physics professors. We would discuss with him creation and evolution and the Big Bang. We'd constantly invite him to our church and to our youth group. And eventually, after much persisting, he finally agreed to come. Our youth leader spoke to him and asked him where he stood on Christianity. And to our complete surprise, he replied, I'm a Christian. And he'd been a faithful follower of Christ ever since. I asked him, what was it that made him put aside his scientific objections to Christianity? What convinced him that, that God had created the universe? In response, he said something that was really quite profound. He said, you know, it was never evolution or science that was my real objection to Christianity. I, th I thought that was the reason. But the truth was, I didn't want to give my life to God. I knew there would be consequences for believing in Jesus, and I wasn't prepared to face them. Apologetics, and that's what we've been doing this morning, discussing things of God, proving God almost, which sounds a bit ironic. Apologetics wasn't what made me become a Christian. It was useful to have those conversations as a way of getting into a conversation about Jesus. But what changed me was the gospel. I read the gospels and I found that Jesus was worth following. All my questions about evolution didn't go away, but they became far less significant. So when it comes to debating with people about creation, and even while I've been stood here, there's been there's been mmms and and I, you know, and that's absolutely fine, absolutely fine. Because when it comes to debating with people about creation, realize it's the devil that we need to overcome, not scientific theories. Know your stuff, and be able to give answers for sure. But it's the gospel that is the power for salvation. An intelligent design or whatever arguments for God's creative work that you share, they're only useful if they point to Jesus. Glorify the Father that sent him and that they challenge people to put their faith in the death and resurrection of Christ. Thank you.